Dan, anything from you, sir? Yeah, the the noise I hear on the coach and such is just. <laughs> That's quality content right there. Yeah. Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Now, Soccer90.com is your source for all things U.S. national team, FC Dallas, and international club gear and national team gear from all over the earth. But prepare for this week because it's the World Cup qualifiers and during U.S. men's national team games, there will be flash sales during each of the three matches and gear that you buy during those games from the national team will get 30% off. Now, Here's the thing we don't know, and they'll have to clarify for you. Because you're a third-degree listener, you also get 25% off your order when you use the code thirddegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. I don't think both discounts apply at the same time, but you'll figure it out when you go buy a bunch of crap at Soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fans. The Huntsman went and ate some donuts against Minnesota. Buzz got to chat with Marco, and it is definitely the week of Pepe. And we'll talk about all of that on episode 131 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it is me, Peter, and everybody's here. Hold hands and give each other hugs, because first up, he's back from, I don't know what he was doing, but it looked like fun, Dan Crook. Well, it was, uh, normally you say I'm drunk somewhere, and it was the, the time that I was actually uh, partaking in some alcoholic beverages, including a beer spa. So, a what? Uh, whoa, whoa, a beer whoa, whoa. spa. You, like you, you got in, in a big... Great. You bathed in beer. Yeah, it's a place in Denver. It's awesome. Doesn't it get in your sensitive areas? Well, it, no, no, it's like, a, it's like a hot tub, and then they put like molten hops and holy basil in it there's no yeast or anything that could get in your bits doesn't it get it doesn't get tingly in your okay all right no well. no it's all the stuff that's just good for your skin and hair it's oh, fun so you look and feel like a million bucks now you sound great you sound very chipper dan even for you yeah just had a bloody long vacation it's been great <laughs> And uh, there he is. You heard him giggling. Your hero, my hero, the editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, the amazing Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. I can't help it, man. Sometimes you make guys make me giggle. Happy birthday, Dan, because that's I know that's why. Oh, you're your yes, that's right. Happy birthday, Dan. Thank you. We're technically in a different month now, though. Oh. Uh, how old are you now, Dan? Thirty-five. No, so come on. How old are you really? Thirty-five. Well, let's move on to other things. That was uncomfortable and weird. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh, what are you trying to imply? Uh, nothing, nothing. You're a fantastic-looking 35-year-old. Awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> and I just realized Dan was born when I was in high school. So, uh, my son. Hmm. Mm. Wow. All right, now, now it's on me. Uh, okay, so here we are. We had a uh, another game under Marco. Uh, this time, a home game against Minnesota United, uh, and we got donuts, boys. And we got an interesting lineup. And we almost thought we had a win until VAR intervened. Uh, 
I look, I, I don't know what there is to take away from that particular performance or lineup or game. I don't feel like since they fired the coach, we've learned anything new about this team yet, Buzz. Well, uh, I don't know that we've learned anything new. A couple guys have altered their performances. Uh, the team tactics, the team philosophy seems to have changed a little bit. Um, certainly in this game, when you can hold Minnesota, who I think is a, a pretty decent team, not super great, but pretty decent, you can hold them scoreless, uh, You know, partially due to your goalkeeper, but still hold them scoreless. That's an improvement when he has overgiven up three goals a game, as they have been doing when Felipe had been playing, so... You know, if, if we're if we're trying to look for micro moments and micro steps, I think there's there's some little bit to chew on here. Uh, you know, obviously, this late in the season, nothing is going to change this team radically. It is what it is, and we said that since middle of the season that you weren't going to be able to change it radically. So, uh, I think there's some positives that are happening. It's still overall, obviously, not great. Dan, uh, did were you traveling during this game? Have you gotten to watch it? Yeah, I actually watched it. On my phone in a car, then rewatched it um, as soon as I could. And wow, I regret both times. <laughs> I was going to say, you actually watched it not once, but twice. Yeah, it was. Well, I, I, I couldn't tell if I was just like bored being on a straight road in. Uh, that must be what oh, happens Oklahoma. to you after, after you take a beer bath. I mean, you do silly things like later. watch those terrible games over and over again. Well, I still never watched the other two, so you know maybe I'm I'm still right. kind of winning. So, Buzz is the big takeaway the uh, Cervania Cirillo Cirillo uh, Cirillo uh, combination. Is it uh, oh. that uh, Shun still isn't getting a start? What What was your big takeaway from zero zero? Uh, the big takeaway, and I agree with you guys, it was a boring game. The big takeaway is the uh, surreal Cervania combination. Um, Edwin, uh, sorry, not, we'll start with Brandon. Brandon Cervania was my man of the match. I actually thought he was phenomenal. Uh, best he's been since that run in 2019. Uh, outplayed for me, Brian Acosta of late. Um, particularly ability to receive the ball, turn, make a progressive pass or progressive dribble. Uh, he was so good at it and, and so good at the defensive work as well that Edwin Cerrillo started almost copying him in a way and started making some of those same, not nearly at the volume of Edwin, uh, of Brandon, but was doing it some. And Brandon was also reading those moments and, and getting back in the right position. So two guys that have played, you know, not for Marco, but have played in the FC Dallas system for a long time and know how to play that double pivot together. And I thought, honestly, that that was the best combination at together double pivot that I've seen in a couple of months, Frank, or maybe even all season, honestly. And I don't mean as I'm not, which is not to belittle the other guys that have played those spots who have had great runs. Uh, obviously, Brian Acosta was MVP for the first month and a half of the season. But together, that that grouping right there, I thought was the phenomenal pairing the way they work together. They're younger and cover more ground, something that's been missing, getting full sideline to sideline. Edwin's developing a little bit of a nasty streak in the game now. I'm talking about in the game. He's a really nice kid off the field, but we've always talked about with him that nasty streak that he's been missing. And there's a great photo on our blog right now where he's going in basically studs first on a dude with a look on his face like he's going to stomp him. And I love it because that's what we've needed from him. So those two guys both have uh, responded clearly to the last three games and played, I thought, phenomenal ball. So for me, yes, that was the big takeaway was those two. 
Savinio is uh, phenomenal. Savinio just... I, I would like to take whoever he's supposed to be marking and him and put a big rubber band between them because he will watch his mark slowly move away further and further and do absolutely nothing. It's, especially he runs into the box. He'll he'll watch the guy and he'll be like 15, you know, sort of 15 feet away. He's like, yeah, I can make that up. I can make that up. And inevitably he doesn't. It's kind of... The the uh, the mean streak's really nice, but FC Dallas has had a real bad habit of midfielders losing the marks, but particularly on late runs into the box. And you want your the guy that's supposed to be your best hope as a defensive midfielder to to have those fundamentals in place. Well, you have to remember too that they're marking uh, Reynoso, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal ten, and eludes dropping in there and Finley is coming wide, you know, that's a very difficult assignment right now. So maybe you guys don't watch enough Minnesota, not you two, just people in general don't watch enough right So that guy is top tier playmaking 10 in this league. And it's a very difficult mass up. So I actually thought that Edwin did uh, and Brandon both because they were switching when he would switch sides and you could see there, they were keying on because they would check out of the middle to go get him and not let allow him space. And I thought that they both did a really amazing job on that guy, all things considered. I want to come back to the uh, homegrown pairing in the midfield in a little bit, but I did uh, the big takeaway uh, from me was in two parts. One is I'm still very confused by the Tafari benching. I don't get it. Uh, Martinez and Hedges both look a step slower than he does, and I'm not. I'm not. Matt certainly looks like he uh, has uh, um, lost a step. Martinez, I'm never quite sure how good I think he is. But the real big takeaway was where was this Philippe performance that showed up out of nowhere? Because that guy was terrible in the last several games, but he was outstanding against Minnesota. Yeah, I wonder the same question because that run he had when Mara was hurt, he was horrific. And I flat out had written in my notes, you know, in terms of like, I, I keep like a file where I'm talking, thinking in my head about the future and what things are going to happen. And I literally put no gone, you know, out don't, don't want him anymore after that four or five game run. Well, not now after that game, that was a completely different player than I've seen from him ever in an FC Dallas uniform. And he had a couple of decent games before that was way better than anything he's done before. And it even has continued in training. So it's not just a fluke because he did it a couple of times today too, making some saves that were, unbelievable. And I don't know what it is. Did he hate Lucci that much? I, I have no idea because I don't speak Portuguese, but the, the turnaround is remarkable. Maybe he just thought he was finally fearing for his job. Well, it's, it's frustrating. It's like uh, the same way Jesse was, the same way Raul Fernandez was. You know they can pull God, I about that guy. incredibly like acrobatic, great reaction saves out, but then there's some boneheaded decision half the time. We've seen Quite a few of those. Maybe while Jimmy was, you know, like legitimately injured, maybe Felipe's saying, okay, well, I guess this starts mine. I don't really have to do much. Team's losing anyway. Uh, and now, you know, they've reactivated Jimmy, even though he's sort of back on the bench. And, but there's pressure on him all the same. And, you know, he's actually got to get his head in the game. Well, that was my question. Do we know why Jimmy didn't start this game? I do not know. 
I mean, it's been a weird thing, right? Because you had a coach that felt his recovery had stagnated to the point where he shut him down completely, training and everything. And then another coach comes in and immediately reactivates him and starts him. My that assumption in the, is just weird. Yeah, my assumption in the moment was he must have re-aggravated the injury because, you know, based on what we had seen from Philippe, I thought there's no way in hell you're putting Philippe in unless you absolutely have to based on that run that he had before. So I was like, oh, Jimmy must be hurt again, you know, because otherwise I couldn't fathom. Even though Jimmy didn't have a spectacular game, the one before he played, I still thought he was better than Philippe in every way possible. But uh, not this guy we saw last game. That guy is a completely different player. Yeah, you know, I was watching the game, and I this is this, these were one of those moments where I begin to think uh, in big picture terms about what I th- what I personally feel like is the real uh, solution for this club in terms of uh, roster management and and what its real identity is. And clearly, the identity for most people is its ability to grow and foster homegrowns and and play with the you know these guys in MLS games. And when I look at this lineup with Paxton and Jesus and Pepe and Edwin and Brandon all on the field at the same time, I do begin to wonder: Is there a universe in which Dallas could seriously throw out on a weekend, week-out basis? a roster made up majority of kids that came up through the homegrown and do that in a manner that makes it interesting and compelling to the general soccer community in the Dallas area and get like large scale attendances. Cause I think that might be more interesting to me than them bringing in half-ass mid-tier South American guys that may or may not be good that we never really turn out, you know, We've, you know, for every Mauro Diaz, we've got you know 15 guys that we can't even remember now. And I, that when I watch this with the Minnesota thing, and then I start to think, sorry, I'm prattling on here, but here's the deal: this lineup with a lot of homegrowns in it was really struggling to create anything against a mid-tier MLS team like Minnesota. And there, that's where I begin to fall apart on the concept. Well, it's a concept you and I have talked about for a long time because we've always wanted it to be true. And I definitely think it is true. Uh, right, other than center back, which is a problem. You don't have enough. The academy hasn't produced enough center backs yet. But, um, uh, you know, when I watch Evan Cerillo, I don't see that much worse than Faka. When I watch Shavania, I don't see that much worse than Acosta. I'm certainly times he's way better than Acosta. And I may peak Acosta maybe is better, but often you get peak Acosta. And certainly the front four... Uh, maybe if you throw in a Shun in there, he's not really a homegrown, but you know, you could easily see where if they would have kept Dante Celia, bring him back. If his PSV thing doesn't work out, that could be a guy. I think part of the disconnect Peter right now is, um, you know, the, the mandate from the ownership in the press conference was we're going to fix the defense. Remember they talked about it like 15 times. So I think there's been a renewed emphasis on the def- defense and the team collective. They have changed the way their team's playing a little bit. So it's altered their comfort zone in the front uh, four a little bit. I, I, may, I think maybe not having Shun in there as part of that because Obreon is not consistent. He has he had this flash moment where he had four in two games, but overall like, he's not great there. And Paxton's playing a little flat these days because he's out of position. So, um, you know, certainly on a big picture level, I think you can field a homegrown team. And I think you can get people excited about it. Now, I don't know if you can sell out places until you get until you can keep a guy like Pepe as a star and generate that star power, but I don't think you can. So that's going to be difficult. But I can easily see a homegrown team that's at least competitive in this league and keeping you right close to the playoffs, if not in the playoffs, 
with that home run talent only, really. Yeah, I do wonder if you were just to make available to the Pepe's and the Savanias or the or Jesus or whatever the player is, the dollars that you've allocated for the Acostas and the Franco Haras of the world, or even the Obreons of the world, or uh, you know Shuns of uh, uh, of the world, and and that's where I you know that's where I start to think about this a lot. Ultimately, I don't know. I don't really know the answer. Do I personally think I would enjoy it? Yes. But do I think it's something that would fill a 20,000-seat stadium week in and week out? That's where I begin to uh, wonder. I, you know, Dallas is a tough market, but if Pepe's, you know, key to the national team and he's getting paid $3 million a year, $5 million a year, some stuff like that, you know, he's getting on media. I mean, I think you could see it happening. I mean, keep in mind, they just re-signed Pepe to like a five-year deal. So, like, they could be jerks and have him for – Till he's, what would that be, 23? And then throw down like a five, six, I don't know what million dollar deal it would take at that point, depending on his trajectory. So you could, the functionality is there to do it. Certainly yeah. Sylvania, you could keep for a cost of money easy. That's not a problem at all. No, but I, I do think for, you know, for the difficulty, because the other component of this is how do you make a Ricardo Pepe want to stay in Frisco and play for Dallas? And yeah. in my mind, the only way you do that is you money whip them to death, right? You give them every reason to want to stay that isn't about what's on the field. Now, ultimately, there's going to be that player that's like, I don't care how much money you offer me. I want to go play at a different level. But I do think, by and large, money whipping guys, because if he if Pepe goes to Europe, how much do you think he's going to get paid in a salary? A million bucks? 1.5? Yeah, I don't know. But the thing, the thing that you say is the problem. Uh, MLS, no matter how much money you throw at a guy from FC Dallas or whatever, MLS is not the pinnacle. And the best athletes want to play at the pinnacle. So like a guy like Pepe, who's worth this, what he is, or we're about to find out what he's worth at the age of 18, even if you money whipped him with like five mil a year, he's still not going to stay because he wants to go play in the Champions League or whatever he thinks his status is going to be. And so it's not just about money whipping. It's also about the the level now if you can keep a mid-tier guy who's going to be a can he be as good as brian acosta and be that level of dp and be better than frank o'hara and be that level of mls dp absolutely you can do that but that's not going to be like a peppy that's going to be like a paxton maybe or a yeah i don't know i think you i think you really and dan you're from europe so you may have a better insight to this but i do think you're starting to get into weird territory when you're saying, hey, Ricardo, I'll give you $3 million a year to be here and be our locked-in starter week in and week out and at, at the age of 18 versus going to either A, a place like, I don't know, AC Milan or some bigger European club where you may not start and only make half that amount of money plus all the taxes and stuff that go along with it, or B, you end up in some sort of mid-tier European club where you are started like in Austria or Belgium or something, but you really don't know what you're getting yourself into. That's where I think those differences are, and I, I think that's where the Hunts in Dallas don't give themselves the opportunity to keep these guys, but that's just me talking out loud and spending somebody else's money. <laughs> I think you kind of have a problem in a way, like even like a Paxton who you know wants to stay and be and be MLS MVP before going somewhere. Well, someone who wants to be MLS MVP has to have a team around them to to propel them to that, to propel them to challenge him for an MLS Cup as well. So those discussions then become 
you know, especially if you're Pepe, yeah, yeah, well, we need to upgrade the wings. You know, I need better service as well. Yeah. So that's con- that's contingent on me staying. Uh, and that was kind of where all of this was headed, which is even if you could convince Pepe to stay for money, could you convince him to stay that the team and the club are good enough to justify his decision to stay? Because maybe he feels like he could do this in Major League Soccer. He just can't do it in Dallas. He probably could take... If you paid him enough, I bet you could convince him to stay for a couple of years because there was that interview he had today where he talked about IX and why it was so appealing was the, the their reputation for developing players and that he still is a developing player. You know, obviously Dallas is not IX, but, you know, if IX is not interested or if Dallas comes were to come in and say, what are they offering you? One, a million, we'll give you three million, stay here for three or four years. Or we'll give you Franco Harris contract. You can have Franco's three million, and work, and you can stay here for three years or something. You know, I, maybe you could buy, get him to buy into that. But um, I don't think that they want to though, because too much of this will come up again later with when we talk about what they really are in the business for. Is too much of what they do is predicated now on this pathway, and if you start not transferring players, then players are going to stop wanting to come here, um, and that's that's a problem. Yeah, I th- I think in Ricardo's um, case, it's a function of the fact that he's 18 years old, and I'm not asking that he stays, you know, for the majority of his career. I'm not even asking that he stays for three years, but put him in a position to really consider that maybe he gives us a run for a couple of years and then makes his big move to another country. I get it, you know, there's the dangers of getting injured, et cetera, or losing form, those types of things. And I get why this doesn't happen. I just, like I'm saying, guys, I'm just trying to figure out, is there a world in which the Hunts can successfully field this interesting, different model that makes people want to come watch this team week in and week out? Because what they've proven to us year after year after year is they are terrible at sussing out all the other, that other aspect of supplementing these kids with you know veteran players from other countries i actually think there is a model that you could do uh that would attract interest because nobody else does it this way so like if you could actually trumpet the idea that we're gonna do it 100 percent with young homegrowns and guys that we draft and we're gonna go in-house and we're going to do it this way, and nobody else has ever done it this way. Now, the problem is you have to end up being competitive because if it turns out that that idea sucks, then no one's going to buy into it. But if you can at least be as successful as they have historically been, and we've talked before about their overall track record of, generally speaking, making the playoffs, they never won shit, I know, but other than a couple of supporter shields, which I put a huge value in. But, you know, if you can consistently make the playoffs, even if it's not higher in the playoffs, but if you're in the playoffs and you can do it with like a non- foreign free agent like thing and be like a hundred percent like the boys of Dallas are doing it again. I mean, there's a thing you can get behind there. You can sell any kind of thing. If you can come up with a good narrative and get people to believe in it. Right. I mean, it just takes decent sell. Okay. never mind. They're screwed. (laughs) The problem there is the narrative they've created over the last 25 years outdoes any narrative they could try and create now. I know. Yeah, uh, that's a different conversation for a different day um, in terms of uh, scorched earth marketing uh, tricks, but uh, we'll figure that out. I want to put a pin in Pepe for a second. We'll come back to all the media coverage. I do want to finish covering the game. Uh, The other thing that continues to at least be a nice, bright, shiny light is uh, Tomasi, who continues to impress 
and really give uh, we need to give Buzz credit for being the person who at the beginning of the season was the one saying, hey, watch out. Tomasi's the guy that should be playing on the right side and in, in, in replacing Brian and Reggie uh, as health got in the way. But uh, he's really started to come good, Buzz. So credit to you. Oh, yeah. Listen, uh, the kid uh, over the years with FC Dallas, there's been players that have that they've said this guy's going to come into this position and maybe it's his turn to start or maybe it's they're changing a position or maybe it's just a young guy they've drafted. And there's a, there's a moment where uh, it all clicks and sometimes it doesn't, it happens in training. And so not all people get to see it. Sometimes it happens in games. I really think Ima as a right back. Now he's always had some talent. I mean, uh, Marco scouted him at wake. So, you know, he knew the kind of player he had, but even under Lucci, the last sort of bit under Lucci, we were starting to see it and there hasn't been an instantaneous light come on, but from, from where we, where he was when he first came in and started it right back sort of mid season to now there's been a clear progression and he's clearly at a moment now where he is fully embraced and comfortable. That's a huge part of it. Comfortable now at right back. He's understanding the concepts, even as late as like a week and a half ago, we were talking about, okay, the final third product needs to improve. Lo and behold, the next two games, he's starting to get a little more balls driven in. Some of those crosses are getting a little better. I mean, he's not Brian Reynolds yet in terms of that, but he's also a better defender than Brian Reynolds. So uh, there's a whole lot to like here about the progression. I think he should be the guy from now on. Uh, look, Justin Prey's got a great future. Im Tomasi is the one that's going to be here. So invest in him and start him because I think he's clearly the, now the answer. And he's not an answer that's going to get sold to Europe for $4 million. He's an answer that's going to have an entire career more than likely in major league soccer. So you can count on him like a Ryan Hong said for years, if you need to. Well, the uh, guys end up, like I said, uh, tied with Minnesota. And now with just how many games are left? Five, five, five or six, five games. Uh, you know, the odds of them making the playoffs are almost completely shot at this point. I know it doesn't look like it. They're 10 points behind Minnesota. Um, uh, and- I, I think I read some, uh, standings guru say that one more loss and, and they're out of the, mathematically they'll be out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And they continue to remain below the one point per game line, which is pretty miserable. And lo and behold, look how it's all turned out because now uh, the, <laughs> the trio of Texas suck are now with all within three points of each other. Uh, and uh, Austin has a game in hand. So by the time we talk, it's possible that Dallas may not be even be the best in Texas uh, before this is all over with. And, oh, Lord, that would be a miserable uh, result there. And honestly, uh, that's what you should be playing for. Like, he should be in the locker room. Marco's saying, like, you you need to be playing to not be the worst team in the Western Conference and not be the worst team in Texas. It's like, let's have some pride and not be last, right? I mean, that's that's how I think you have to sell it. Well, I know I know that everybody was uh, running noise that they had uh, gotten a clean sheet and shut out Minnesota, but I want to remind everybody that Minnesota is, I think, fifth worst in the league in goal scoring, and their leading scorer is a guy named Lode who's not even a forward, and I think he has like seven goals on the season. season. So oh, keeping them out of the net is not that big of a deal. Well, Lude plays up front most of the time, but, yeah, he is a converted midfielder. Yeah, they don't yeah. have a great – they're missing a Pepe. They don't have a striker. But, you know, uh, Buzz, you were out at the fields today and you got a chance to talk to Marco after the fact. Uh, I'm sure he's just filled with sunshine and cheer and mm. all around happy news. Well, 
let me tell you first that um, it's a very up and down vibe right now. Not surprisingly, uh, they were a little bit in their first drill or two. Things were a little flat. And I thought to myself, oh, no, they've they've checked out. That's not good. But then with a little, you know, prodding from the coaching staff and they got into a little bit more of the interesting part of the training session, it got livelier and it picked up. And then I thought, oh, oh no, OK, this is fine. And then the standard was there, you know, and um, I think that they have. There's probably some guys on the team that were checked out a little bit, but for the most part, your key guys are still working, you know, and still training hard. Um, I do have one overall macro thing I want to talk about from training today that just blew me away because of the call-ups and because of some roster deficiencies that is a topic I want to talk about again in a minute. There were only 21 players uh, around today, 21 players, and there were 18 staffers at training, 18. When, wait, it, wait, when you say staffer, do you mean like coaching yeah. staff or like people from the front office? Not front office. Coaches, a head coach, assistant coach, trainer, assistant trainers, maybe a couple of interns. I'm not sure which ones are interns and which one are paid. Um, equipment guys, assistant equipment guys. Um, yeah, literally. And I'm not even talking about like an academy coach who came and watched for a little bit. I mean, literally, there are 18. And what, Kenny Cooper, who's volunteering, including Cooper, there were 18 personnel at training. And if you, Peter, you will remember from the early days of MLS when there were three. Right. When it was Dave Durr, his two assistants and one equipment guy. And that was three coaches and one equipment guy. And for so often it was just two coaches and one equipment guy. So to have 18 staffers now, and it is the strongest like staffer to player number mismatch I've ever seen coaching, watching FC Dallas, but to only have 21 players and have 18 staffers. It just, I counted it three times to make sure I wouldn't be delusional. All right. Couldn't but on, believe a, it. on a regular uh, practice session, how many players are there and how many, is it the same 18 staffers and 30 players or what, 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 why was this unusual to you? Well, it just really hit me because there were, there were so few players because of the international call-ups because there's three guys gone. And, and there's not always this many staffers. Cause I said, a couple of them are interns and interns come and go like during this, there might be one for the spring and then a different one or two for the summer and a different one or two for the winter. And sometimes assistant equipment managers, sometimes there are more than others, depending on who's available, you know, all that kind of thing. It's just today was the biggest amount of staffers and the smallest amount of players that I can remember seeing. It just, so it just really stood out and really struck me. And it comes back partially to what we've talked about a lot, or I've talked about a lot about how this roster is not constructed properly. And if you if you ever read the roster dance, I don't know if you guys have looked at it lately, they actually have been carrying two open roster spots all season. Now, you guys know, I think you will know, that your senior roster has to either have 18 to 20 players. It could be 18, 19, or 20, whatever you want to have. You can't have less than 18. But that also can include loans, right? So sometimes you get roster relief for loans and sometimes you don't. So right now, FC Dallas has two open roster spots, but Johnny Nelson's out, right? Long-term. And so is uh, Benny Redzik. He's out long-term. Nikki Hernandez is basically on loan with North Texas pretty much all the time now. Um, Colin Smith is on loan perpetually all the time now. Kaiser Gomez, who's the center back that they signed for North Texas on loan. He's actually with North Texas all the time now. And so you include three loans and it's generally speaking, even without the injuries, Dallas this year 
and under Lucci in general, but this year specifically, Dante Sealy is on loan too, right? Thomas Roberts is on loan. So they run a shorter roster than I've ever seen in the, this club's history. I've never seen it like this. Hmm. And so Lucci took over and they started doing it more and more and more. And it's capitalized this season. It's sorry, not capitalized. It's peaked this season when you have days like this where you can't even field 11 versus 11. Now, it's less a big deal because they usually can bring over an academy guy or a North Texas guy. But today was a day they didn't do that, whether those guys are on vacation or whether they just couldn't for whatever reason. I don't know. They didn't have that cap capability, so they couldn't even run 11 versus 11 when you included the cops and the injuries and the loans and all that stuff. And so to me, the fact that you don't run a full 30-man roster – how often do we talk about how they were short of center back? How often do we talk about coming into this season? They needed one more nine. They had Pepe and Ebhara. They needed another one. Like there's, there's roster failures in construction here that came, that were really obvious today when they couldn't run to full 11 v 11. Hmm. Yeah, that is a fascinating insight. I, I, you know, I don't attend practice like you do. So when I hear you uh, perk up on a change like that, uh, it's always good to hear that, uh, get that from you, Buzz, because that's interesting stuff. And, yeah, and I, and I don't know what that's. I don't know if that's a signifier of uh, Lucci uh, running the team differently and 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 uh, the front office being short sighted on numbers or what. But um, I don't for, know. Yeah, for all I know, it's a cap thing. It, it did occur to me the other day that they sold Reggie right for three something, I guess, and Brian's is like four could go up to six or whatever. That let's just roughly say that's nine million dollars. Frank O'Hara three years, three million a year, nine million dollars. So Reggie and Brian got you, Frank O'Hara. <laughs> so when they said that they reinvested all the money from reggie and ryan reynolds they did yeah. it's in frank o'hara's pocket happy well, birthday they just need to get it first yeah well that's true well they already paid franco i'm sure so they have to they'll get it back and put it back in the covers um Sorry. Any, go ahead. So anything else? So that was a conver that was an uh, observation about training. But what happened yeah. with your conversation with Marco? Uh, that was actually really good. We talked a little bit about some of the tactics they're implementing. We talked a little bit about center back and some of the choices he's making. You know, I, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to say, how come you don't play Nikosi? He's awesome. You know, you kind of have to try and draw answers out of coaches sometimes. So I, I basically set him up with like, talk to me about the decisions you're making at center back. You know, what are you looking for? You've had a more variety there than other places. And through a couple of different things we talked about, he really emphasized that last week was the, there was a lot of load management and rotation involved in the three games in a week. So some of the decisions we were seeing were heavily related to that, like Paxson not starting the one game in the middle, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so, he put a lot, he puts a lot of value clearly from what he was saying about in Paxton being on the field and being a starter. Um, being, cause he, as he put it, we get a lot of football out of Paxton, you know, the combinations he does, the involvement he does, the build he does. Um, he did not seem to be too high on Shun in terms of starting. I kind of tried to drag him in a little bit on that. And he kind of leaned back towards Paxton. I think for Marco anyway, Paxton's job is on the left and O'Brien's job is on the right. Cause I even asked him about what about Paxton on the right? And he said, well, you know, we, we like to flip him around every once in a while, but he didn't seem to lean into the idea that Paxton could start over there. Um, which means I think we're going to see O'Brien basically. Uh, but he did put a lot of value on Shun and, and is looking forward to getting him back as a piece. 
So we'll see if that guy gets more in the lineup. The center back thing, when we first started talking about center backs, he sort of doubled down on uh, his faith and trust in Matt Hedges and how Matt Hedges is now back to being, for the first time now, being a 90-minute player again and feels good again. Um, I think that he was fighting through more than we thought, actually. And I agree with Marco in the sense that I thought this last game was Hedges' best game. And he looked really good in training today. Uh, he even was talking a lot, which you guys know for him is really rare. So I, I'm very convinced that that for Marco, it's going to be Hedges and somebody. And the other person will be based on decisions. And I think for Marco, I, I, I think that the guys that have more experience are particularly of interest to him because he doesn't seem to be you know, when I watch rotations in training, he's not necessarily sticking um, Nikosi in, you know, with like with Hedges as the partner often. You know, that doesn't seem to be high on the list. So uh, I, I do wonder, and, and one of these days I'll try and get him directly on it. What's How come you don't seem to like Nikosi? But it's, it's a work in progress, you know, with, with him. Marco's very uh, cards on, you know, to the... I've, I, very guarded, very hard to get him to open up sometimes. Um, you know, he will give you a real answer, but often very careful about what he's saying. So um, I think you can look at a big a big helping of Matt Hedges plus somebody else, depending on what they think the game needs. Now, I'm with you. I think Tafari's recovery pace makes up for the mistakes when he makes them. He can recover and make up for them, and he can recover and make up for his other defenders on the outside when they're not in the right position or doing the right things. So um, I'd like to see more and hopefully we'll get to see more eventually, but I don't think it's going to be soon for whatever reason. And I promise I'll try and get more info about why we're not seeing much Makosi. I've just haven't been able to peel it out yet. Um, and then what else did we talk about? Oh, some, some bigger concepts um, today they were working on this week. They were working on it and Marco re reiterated this, that they're trying to deny opportunities into certain spaces so they're trying to work on denying some crossing and denying entry passes denying balls into that uh, zone 14 to help you know uh, stifle opportunity um we talked a little bit about the build out like because you know i was like clearly they don't go with this lucci ball keep the ball no matter what they're willing to give up now a little bit of possession in order to try and get a little verticality a little more counterattacking, more like oscar had maybe not quite that far because he still talked about, about um, relying on the players for the build-out that they know and the decisions they know how to make. Yet if they feel there's an opportunity, they, he wants them to go vertical and go with a more direct attacking style. So you're definitely seeing more of that mixed in. So that's where we are in the evolution is like clamping down this defense and keeping it tight and now bring back in a little more offense and get things going a little bit uh, going forward. Uh, have either of you talked to Marco or anybody about the current status of Ricarte in this team? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I wanted to today, but uh, the press conference uh, was like, well, I waited 45 minutes until after it was supposed to start, and then I just decided to give up. Get on with your life, yeah. Because uh, it's crazy, right? This, you know, I mean, we identified before he even touched down in Dallas, clearly a deep line playmaker. And you've got two coaches now that have tried to shoehorn him in as a 10 when he clearly doesn't suit that. Hmm. 
Okay, so I found this thing on Reddit I wanted to share with you guys, and it's a combined stat. So the exact details of it aren't super important, but it's the top eight players on any given MLS team. If we combine their total number of progressive passes, carries, which is a progressive dribble carry, mm -hmm. and a, a receptions, so progressive receptions where they, they receive a ball in an advanced space. So basically it's like how your team gets forward. And uh, the guys for Dallas, a lot of these names, so, so like there's a, it's a per game basis. So like, for example, Ricardo Pepe is a 9.9. .9. So he has 9.9 .9 progressive passes, receptions, and carries per game over the season. So that's a, a baseline. Hadir O'Brown's an 11. Paxton is a 14. Ryan Holland said 14. So names you're kind of expecting. Jesus, 13. Guys that help the team get forward and do positive things over the course of the entire season. Imatu Omasi is basically 11. Brian Acosta is a nine. So he's a little lower than you would like for a mid central, central midfielder. So keep in mind that Andrew Sarkarte has hardly played. He's 18. Hmm. So he's five points better than anybody else and double Brian Acosta and Ricardo Pepe. So again, this comes back to this idea for me anyway. And that's why I wanted to share it was that I feel like Ricardo is a guy who can help play progressive soccer. He's a deep line playmaker. He makes passes into the box that nobody else on this team even attempts. Now, they don't always come off, but he's willing to try them, and he does do them, and he does make more of them come off than anybody else. And I think he's an absolutely phenomenal player that can help this team be better offensively. He is deficient defensively, though, and everybody here for some reason is gung-ho, and Marco, this is Marco's included on this. A lot of what I talked to about Marco today, and this is why I brought it up, is this idea of players having multiple – both sides of a role. Like I was talking about Brandon Savania's progression and he, he brought up, yeah. And his defensive positioning and work rate was phenomenal too. Okay, great. He's an eight, two way player. I get that. That's important in a two way player. That's what Ricarte is missing. Even though he has a high number of defensive actions, he doesn't do the grunt work that you need as a deep eight. But if you wanted to play a double eight and you had a legitimate single pivot six, the very best soccer I think the Dallas played all season was when Tanner played as a single pivot six and he had the Ricarte Acosta double eight. Now, Tanner's not a hard-nosed six, but he covers more ground than anybody else in that position. So if you had a legit single pivot six, Ricarte could then be free to play as a deep-lying eight, playmaking eight, and it would, I think it would do, work. Do we know that Faco is not that player? In my opinion, he is not. I've, I've come to believe he's not that player, that he is not cover enough ground, have enough range to be a single pivot six. In fact, I'm ready to go so far as to say he barely gives us more than Edwin Cirillo, and I'm happy to just play Edwin Cirillo because Edwin covers more ground. Yeah. Well, all I remember, and we've talked about this before, so I don't mean to beat a dead horse, is that when Ricarte was uh, an, you know, rumored to be coming this way, uh, I got excited because Valderrama, uh, you know, uh, voluntarily was was hyping him up in different circles. I had read him say a lot of things, and we've subsequently heard Lionel Alvarez say nice things about Ricarte, and clearly he was a guy with a high reputation uh, in Colombia, and, and, and I've never done this work, and it's probably lazy of me to bring this up and not have done it, but, and I'll cop to that, but I certainly would love to know what types of formations, what position he was being asked to play when he was this badass playmaker in Colombia that we're not seeing here in Dallas and how much of that is really uh, just him not being paired with the right guys or being asked to play with the right position. That's Those are the big questions I have around the Ricarte, uh, uh, at, at Ricarte as a player. 
Yeah, I, I think that you have to set the shape up for him, that you have to have the right players and the right content. You can't just say, this is the way we play. I'm sticking you in one of those spots. You have right. to, like in a way, like you did with Valderrama, who was, in a way, a deep-line playmaker as well. He didn't play up behind the strikers. He played in the center circle and never left. You know, So <laughs> right. you have to kind of set... And, and listen, because Valderrama, what did he have? He had Leo Alvarez, didn't he? Right. Behind him. So it was like, that's what's missing. Like, you could play Ricarte underneath Jesus. Jesus is that off-striker. You could play Ricarte underneath Jesus as, an, as a legit eight if you had a balls out Carlos Crezzo six and they don't. Yeah. Well, they did. They had uh, Tiago Santos, but they sold him. And yeah. I mean, he's every, not Carlos Crezzo, but yeah. Yeah. It always comes back to the sale of Santos somehow, some way. Through over the course of the season, we always seem to come back to the really weird decision to sell Santos uh, two weeks prior to the start. Well, let me of the ask season. you this. If hypothetically you had, you were a technical director of a team that wanted to get the coach fired, would not selling your six a week before the season be a great way to do it? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, that's <laughs> a, that's a fantastic conspiracy theory, yeah. and I and I it would if I thought, I mean, I would really hate to think that about a guy well, I know very very little about. Yeah, and I don't think I I, I don't want to be that guy that thinks that um, Zanata pulled that trick as some sort of long term play to get Lucci out of the role. Because I think Lucci was going to coach himself out of a gig over a period of time anyway. Because I just don't think he, I don't think he was right for the role as this team was progressing forward. But I don't know. Maybe there is something to that buzz. Man, I, I sure hope not. I mean, it depends. On, I don't know Zanota there's, at all. I mean, I've talked to him twice. There's you know? too many people that are in that decision making process. I think. I mean, unless somehow Zanata's got some sort of weird Jedi-like mind trick power over Dan and Clark, where he talked him into making a million bucks. It's not. Look, guys, it's not like they solved their budget problems with the sale of Tiago Santos. Yeah. Well, there, there, he was quite a bit older. You know, he was going to run out of value sooner. They got an offer that they basically couldn't refuse. Like sometimes those decisions come down to how much do we value the player for. And if you give us way more than we value the player for, we're going to give them to you. You know, now whether I I know for a fact that Lucci had some involvement in terms of saying, okay, but you better do X, Y, and Z, you know, sort of, he sort of tacitly agreed to it, knowing it wasn't going to be very good. Um, You know, sometimes right now, sometimes there's a little bit of a adherence. It feels like to the business first, vein around here and i'm not sure that's the best path to winning sometimes soccer is a gut business you know instinct business and all of us while we understood the move probably were all on the inside going oh man this is gonna be terrible you know and even when we we saw faco come in and we thought well okay he looks adequate you know kids is he gonna get any better i i haven't seen a particularly high amount of progress he's definitely not tiago santos you know he's just an average mls player and if you're on a bad team, that's not good enough. Yeah. When did he? Uh, when did he come into the team? Was it July? Uh, right after they sold Tanner, basically, I think. Yeah. I was. Sure. Oh, they don't do the form guide anymore. On the, I was trying to remember what the team's record was uh, when Faco came into the team. Like how well things were spinning up until that point. Well, the two yeah. games right before that was when they had Tanner as the du- six behind the double eight, Ricarte Acosta, and they had those back-to-back great results. Oh, and then they right. brought in Faco and sat, sold and or sat Tanner, and it was immediately not 
as good. And, you know, at the time, of course, we said, as you always do, give the guy a chance. He's got to play in. We don't really know what we have. Obviously, the first blush isn't Carlos Barrezzo, but maybe it'll get better and we'll see. You know, and he got a little better, but not. They also uh, immediately did what they did with uh, Santos the year before and and switched to a double pivot to, yeah. to give him time to to you know quote unquote learn the defense and then I don't think he's really had had much of a run to to pick it up since honestly yeah side note Tanner's been sitting on the bench at Venezia for the last several weeks not yeah. doing much either so looks like it worked out for everybody um or or maybe not so the uh, dallas doesn't play again until their next game which is on a wednesday night in frisco uh that's october the 20th and that's when lafc comes to town that game does start at 7 p.m so i'm sure there'll be a stunningly huge crowd for that uh weeknight school night game yeah um, and we'll have a podcast before then to talk about what they'll actually do for that game so yeah, we'll talk a little bit. Yeah, and we'll also get a, a chance to kind of reflect on what happens over the course of the next week with the U.S. men's national team and with Pepe uh, playing for them. And, yeah, we'll do that. Now, that's a, a, a fantastic seg. Thank you, Buzz, into the next thing, which is what I wanted to pick up on, which was uh, today I wake up, I turn on the computer interweb machine, and I see not one but two long-form articles one at espn and one at the athletic about ricardo pepe now you could probably lay one on top of the other and 80 percent of everything that was in one article was in the other but there were things found in one that weren't in the other that i thought made each of the articles valuable and a good read yeah they're both really good and there probably were six more articles by pretty reputable people about pepe as well i mean it was all in on pepe day it really was on the media. But those particular athletic and ESPN long-form articles were both really excellent. Uh, both had stuff from his dad, um, which I thought was fantastic about the you know the dual conflict again, which we talk about a lot with Pepe. Um, both talked about uh, you know where he grew up and the background he had and how he his dad like built their house. And so you can see where some of the work that came from. There's a phenomenal quote about Pepe from Pepe about his own mentality, which I thought was amazing from, from one of those articles. I think it was the ESPN one. Uh, they're both terrific. And, it, and, and as you say, there are similarities to them, but I, if you're a Dallas fan and a Pepe fan, they're both worth reading for sure. Uh, my favorite part of, I think it's in the ESPN article, but I had heard this story before is the one where Pepe or his father uh, talks about that when Pepe would half-ass it in a particular game as a kid, his dad would tell him to throw his shoes and uniform in the trash because he wasn't going to waste his time or his family's money. And I thought, man, I love that dad. I love it. That's how you get a kid head right with ball. But that's probably terrible parenting. But I don't. Maybe it's not. It got him. Got him where it is now. But I love that story. Yeah, there's also a terrific story about. And by the way, I'm not a parent, so there you go. Yeah. There's a terrific story about um, them coming to when he come to the academy before, and then they come back and watch him play. I think it's in the Dallas Cup, and they both tell the story. Uh, both articles do about his dad basically being like, you know, maybe it's time for you to come home to El Paso. And Pepe was like, Nope, <laughs> no, I'm staying. This is what I'm doing. And they were like, Okay, so here's I guess the Pepe we're moving quote. here instead. Yeah, yeah. here's the Pepe story. Here's the Pepe quote that I loved. This all has to do a lot with the mind. If you're prepared for it, if you expect it, then it's going to come. And I love that quote. And his mindset is what I've talked about a lot that makes him slightly different. And there's even some discussion, I can't remember which article it's in, about 
how there's a lot of players that play his position are interested in the stardom and the fame. And he's pretty grounded. He's not really like that. He's basically like a, he, he's not looking for the attention, but if, if, if it's time for him to step up and take the ball, that he will do it, you know, and he's ready to do it. And, Oh, and, and that spins back. If you don't mind me, spins back to part of the conversation I had with Marco was about PK taking today. I didn't ask him about, you know, it's hard, never going to take it again. But I was like, you know, are you a guy who lets the players handle it on the field or do you assign it? And Marco's answer was, generally speaking, we let players handle that on the field unless we feel like we need to assign it. And he said, like, it, and it always depends on the players and depends on the situation. He said, if Reto Ziegler was still here, Reto would be, I would have said, Reto's our PK taker. And Reto would have said, I know, I already told all the guys, I'm taking all the PKs. So it's different. And right now it's kind of a who wants it kind of situation. Uh, and that's where I think that I would have my complaint about that particular horror PK not to go backwards in time was how cold horror was. I don't mind Hara taking it because he has been successful, but given that he had just subbed in, I don't want him taking it. And that's where I would have liked to see a little constru- uh, uh, instruction there, but it is a talking point that I wanted to get out and, and ask Marco specifically about. And he like, like Oscar was the same way. Oscar was a, they decided on the field. So, yeah. And by the way, I owe an apology to all of the pod listeners because I failed to bring up the Hara <laughs> disaster from that particular game where he subbed in, missed a really, really good opportunity, and then was given an opportunity to, uh, I think, tie the game, I think it what it was, uh, with a penalty kick late in the game, and he, he toasted it. So. Uh, yeah. which was the one thing he was supposed to be really good at when they brought him here in the first place. So my apologies for forgetting to bring that up uh, in the last episode of the pod. Yeah, the, the I, I do find all of this coverage of Ricardo Pepe this week really good and interesting because he is a guy from, from our club and our team. He's local. I think that's great. I I can't help feel like that it's not being capitalized on locally, um, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, is that a, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I'm surprised that there hasn't been a, a Ricardo Pepe, uh, package on every local affiliate based on, especially with these games coming up and maybe, maybe it'll happen after tomorrow night or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's all in the works, but based on the uh, amount of national stuff that's come out just in the soccer media, I'm just really, frankly, I'm surprised and disappointed that we haven't seen him on four, five, eight, and eleven, etc. I don't know where Dan is on this, but I'm I'm a little disappointed that everybody is so desperate for a nine that we're now all in on the Pepe, you know, anointed one scenario. Now, listen, I I think the kid's phenomenal and I love his mentality, but I for me, it's I'm a, I think he's only guaranteed the next start. You know, it, it's the national team always is going to be who's hot and who's on the best form. And granted, I think he'll do it, but everyone is so fast to get on board the high train. Oh yeah, L trend man. People go nuts on this kid it's all your the fault, time. Buzz. It is my fault. It totally, one hundred percent your fault. Sorry, L trend. Are you uh, talking I'm right with you there? Uh, yeah. You know, it's kind of that scenario of uh, I don't know if you remember Francis Jeffers. The uh, I do. Yeah how hyped up he was as a teenager and, and how uh, that kind of just, you know, it wasn't like a Freddie Adu fall from grace, but the career never quite matched up with the hype. And 
you know, for a very talented kid. And it's like, you don't want to see that happen. You want to see Pepe. Yeah, Pepe's a quiet kid. You kind of wanted to see him thrive in, in that kind of subdued environment. FC Dallas is kind of a perfect place for him because there's never, in theory, too much attention to detract from his game. Yeah, I think that too spins back, Dan, to the idea of like where he should go when he does make a move because you want to see Pepe go to an environment where he's important in terms of like a club that wants to develop him further, maybe so that they can springboard him again versus like just as a hypothetical example, if he were to go to PSG and they sell Mbappe, they're like, okay, kid, you're in. And it's going to be like sink or swim in five minutes. You're either the golden child or you're dead. You know, that's not what we want for him. We want him to go to a place an IX, I've suggested Dortmund, places that are known for taking young guys in and turning them into these next great players. That's the perfect kind of move for him because he's obviously, look, he's not a complete player. We've talked about weaknesses in his game and how he's improved them over the last year, but there are still some weaknesses there that he needs to prove on for sure. Yeah, it's kind I mean, of funny. He, he missed some chances in the last game, by the way. I mean, we, we really didn't talk about that. He had some really good opportunities to score in, against Minnesota and he, he goofed him up. Yeah, that when he tripped over himself, he had the only shot in the box, which was a sitter and he missed. But yeah, I mean, it's funny because people have kind of got this provisionist history about him that he, every level he's played at, he's immediately succeeded. And he had a, you know, he had a fair period where he was adapting to first team football, starting with those uh, Open Cup games a couple of years ago. And now we're seeing him come into that, that comfort level. He's a grinder, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He's not a day one just going to blow it out. I mean, USL League One was kind of, you know, a, a freak occurrence there. But in the academy, you know, it took him a minute to adjust. Every age level, it took him a minute. Getting to the first team, it took him it took him a while to adjust. And wherever he goes next, it's going to take him a while to adjust. And you don't want to go to like... Uh, Spain or a Portugal or an Italy where everyone expects you on your first day before your first training session to be the next Pele. Well, I, this week will be interesting because uh, you and I, uh, all three of us understand how fast this stuff fizzles out. So all of this hype and all of this interest in him can disappear in the blink of an eye if he has a really crummy performance in Austin, mm. yeah. um, you know, against Jamaica or misses a sitter or, you know, and, and unfortunately for somebody like Pepe at the age of 18, his performance may have nothing to do with him personally and everything to do with the rest of the team sucking rocks. And, uh, and, and and it will get laid on him for not scoring a goal. So, yeah. um, look, be careful what you wish for. You may get it, and that's where Ricardo's in at this particular moment because now everybody's eyes are focused, lasered on him, and people have big expectations. Um, you know, last time I saw Ricardo Pepe in Austin, uh, which was just several <laughs> weeks ago, the kid was absolutely bawling out and uh, people sitting around me were all suddenly becoming aware of who he was and they were fans of the other team uh and they all re uh, begrudgingly were getting excited about how well he plays so if he puts on even a close to the performance he put on against austin fc several weeks ago uh, i think he'll be just fine at least after uh, game one and he can then worry about going to panama yeah let me remind people that pepe is not a player that does it by himself He's not going to be prolific, pick up a ball, dribble five dudes and shoot. Pepe needs service. If the balls are not played into him, 
He's a poacher. He's a one or two touch and rip it kind of guy. He's a guy that takes advantage of good positioning and loose balls and he pounces on stuff. You know, you cannot expect him to do it by himself. He has to have good service from the wings or good service through the middle back when he was in the U 17s and he did not get good service from, um, uh, Griffin Yao and, uh, um, the, the, the Reina, um, he did not have a great world cup, you know? It's, so it's like, it's, if he's going to be in the national team and hopefully Greg Belter is a good enough coach to recognize that and adapt the way he put the team plays with them because he needs, you saw it in the second half, first half, he only got one opportunity. Second half, you get him three or four balls in, he's going to start putting them away. Yeah. Have you guys seen Doyle's uh, suggested starting 11 for tomorrow night? No, I haven't looked. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. It's uh, Tim Weah on one side, Aronson on the other, and Pepe in the middle, uh, backed up be- behind uh, Weston McKinney, uh Musa, and Tyler Adams. Well, that'll so be fun. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Chris Richards, he suggests, should start at center back, too. Oof. So there's a, there's a whole lot of Dallas stuffed in that team. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. And, and you got to love that. All right, so like I said, uh, Dallas not back on the field again until the 20th against LAFC. Uh, lots of peppy. And let's see, whatever other stuff we need to talk about. Now, Buzz, you were teasing uh, your followers and listeners with some talk that maybe there's a new homegrown deal coming down the pipe. Yeah, that chatter picked up uh, late last week. It's only intensified that basically I'm hearing, you know, basically done deal, if not signed, you know, which is, probably means agreed to terms, I would assume. I don't know who 100%. I have my guesses. And I actually brought back my list today to just run really quickly through the five most likely people. Just I just want to do it really fast. The obvious one is the guy I've been predicting for like two years would sign this winter. The guy that I've been telling you for a couple of weeks on the pod has been in camp all the time lately, and that's Antonio Carrera, who's the ostensibly the U19 starter, although he's never with them because he's often with FC Dallas or with North Texas. So for me, that's the one that makes total sense. Um, I can't, I'm like 85% that it's going to be him. But the other options are, if you consider that Pepe is likely sold, that leads you to think nine. While the other strikers are Knight Pickering, who's been in FC Dallas camp a fair amount. Whenever Jesus and Pepe have been called up, he often gets the opportunity. Um, He also signed with an agent. So it means a couple, about a month and a half ago. So he's Mm -hmm. given up on college basically. Uh, Tariq Scott, who is more of a wingish type nine, not a pure nine, but more of a winger. Um, lots of tools and finally is putting it all together. He won the golden boot in the MLS next playoffs. He's probably more of a Sealy Reynolds type attacker, but can play nine. And then the other one is a forward is Antonio Ramirez. Sorry, Anthony Ramirez, excuse me. Sorry, kid. Um, who I really, really like, but is more of a 10, like a, like a, he's a Jesus clone like an underneath striker clone, which means in the Dallas system that he often is a false wing. Um, he's more of a, you know, Jesus Ferreira kind of underneath a striker kind of poacher, but he's had a bunch of Mexico youth cut camps lately. And so I wonder if, even though I think like when I've asked Dallas about him, I kind of get a, Oh man, he's a little small. He's a little undersized. We don't really know where to play him. Like those kinds of conversations. But if he's getting these Mexico camps, they might see that as a protect the investment kind of thing. And then the fifth guy is Diego Hernandez, who was the is usually the most consistent in 2005. Um, has also played for North Texas just once, but is up that highly thought of. So those are, the, for me, 
the five most likely. And if I were going to bet money, it would be Antonio Carrera. Can I add some fire to that bet? Yeah, go ahead. All three keepers are out of contract at the end of the season. Mm, I did notice that Zobak was up. I didn't see the... Re- I, and Felipe, of course, his loan is up. Yeah, know. his loan and no one's paying $2.5 million unless he does every week again a few times. Yeah, and, um, you, and they have Richard Sanchez at, and, at, at North Texas too, who's a possibility there. Maybe that's why he was signed, you know, but I, I, I would, I'm with you, Dan. I think it's probably going to be Carrera. Wait, hold on. He, Dan, wait, Dan, hold on. Felipe is making $2.5 million? No, his fee is, Felipe's fee is $2.5 million. Oh, okay. Felipe? Okay. That's his name, yeah. Right, yeah, I it was the, the buy on him. Yeah, they extended the loan. It has an option to buy. Ah, okay. Sorry. I I just kind of heard that in passing, and I thought you said that's uh, how much they were paying him. No, like, that no, can't his, be right. <laughs> his loan got extended for this year. Uh, option to buy $2.5 million. Uh, Zobek and Maurer uh, were both in option years. Yeah, so and are both in 30-31, too, you know, which is, yeah. you know, keepers play longer nonetheless, but still, you know, there's a gap. There's a big gap if you're not keeping Philippe from low 30s to nothing, you know, down. So, I, again, I think that's the guy, but I, I don't know for sure. Okay. And then uh, I'm assuming all of you uh, took at least a minute to uh, check out the latest Dan, or excuse me, Clark Hunt D Magazine article that I feel like appears in D Magazine <laughs> once a year. Yeah. Uh, right about the time the team's about to take a giant shit somewhere, and uh, he kind of talks about priorities and expectations and how proud he is of this thing and we all Wheels just like our chief stuff yeah and our mm-hmm. eyes kind of roll out of our head and onto the floor and then yeah. you have to wash them off in the sink because they got crumbs and dog fur on them and stuff before you put them back in your head we didn't get the token invite this year which one normally they put an invite out to the soccer media as well as the football media they didn't do that this year oh i figured it was a d magazine special Oh, no, it was a thing that was hosted by Follower. Oh, wow, okay. That, it says that in the, in the D Magazine thing. Oh, man. Oh. I just skipped down to the FC Dallas part. I didn't read the. Yeah. Stunning. Well, Stunning added news to all of that. We yeah. didn't get invited. <laughs> Normally, it's we get an invite to go to some random place downtown. Oh, yeah, you're right. And then I they wheel out the that. Lombardi trophy and talk yeah. no soccer, really. Here's yeah, the thing. If, if for anybody who hasn't read it, it's really not an article. It's not a Q&A about FC Dallas at all. It's an interview uh, with him. I think Mark Followell is hosting it. And it's mostly about football stuff, the hunts and all of that. I mean, the Chiefs and all of that stuff. Yeah, the thing about this is he always uses this line about if you're in sports, you're in it to win it. You know, we're number one goal is a championship. And then he immediately gets into like Pepe and the where he's going next. And I would challenge back on what we always say about this is name one thing, not their, not what they say, what they do. Name anything that they do that says the number one priority is winning a championship. I don't think they do a single thing that indicates that that's true. They spent three million on a guy who was good four years ago. Wait. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it's all about the academy. It's all about this progression. They're hiring coaches that are like the FC Dallas way. None of that says to me that your priority is winning a championship. I I completely agree with you, Buzz. And my only um, my only um, 
I don't want to say it. The only thing that drives me nuts about it is that it just feels so disingenuous because if Clark Hunt was to get up on the stage and really throw it around his credentials, which is, hey, look, we are, we are without question, the number one pro sports ownership group in the history of the earth. I don't think there's a singular group of people that have owned more sports teams across more uh, years and seasons, across more sports than the Hunt family has. Football, basketball, hockey, soccer, tennis, over 100 years of pro sports ownership. They're doing something right. And if they would throw that out there and say, we are in the business of running smart sports businesses, yeah, we want to win championships, but we got to do this in a way that makes sense for us as a business. I think the rest of that stuff that he says would ring a lot more uh, earnestly. Yeah, and that's what we always say. That's what we've said about them for years, that all their behavior indicates that the number one priority is the budget. Bottom line. Bottom line, not losing a lot of money and survivability of the franchise. They're far more interested in investing in infrastructure, in academy, in big items that will carry this franchise for years, not a big spend on one guy for one season. And when they've tried to do it, they've gotten burned on the Danielson and the Frank O'Hara. They obviously, I think, recognize that they stink at that. We'd like them to be better, of course. But that's the side that we would actually like to give them a little bit of credit for is the survivability of the franchise. And yet they always want to pretend like they're chasing championships when clearly, clearly they're not. Just be honest and say what you really are doing was we're trying to make a team survive for 50 years, 100 years, and we'll go after titles along the way when we find our Patrick Mahomes. I think I've got a new, uh, you know, you know, people say the Ajax of MLS, which is the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. Um, I've got I've got the new comparison. It's Arsenal. Because Arsenal, for the longest time, were one of the few football teams that were self-sustainable, and they were still challenging. They weren't winning anything, but they were challenging, and they could boast, "Hey, we just paid for our, we just paid off our stadium, while every other team that built a new stadium's going into administration, and was still still up there, not winning, but still up there." Of course, now it's all fallen apart, and they're absolute shite. Which well, is just a perfect mirror, but you know. I think it's. I think everybody would love to try to find a a really good European comparison, and I'm just not sure there is one because where all of those compare, whether you say it's Southampton or it's Arsenal or whatever, throw out whatever European club you want to. the The difference is that name any of those other clubs in Europe which may or may not have ever won a championship or had a really really good academy or both of those things. Um, what they do have that Dallas doesn't is a successful track record of fan interest and attendance numbers and selling out stadiums and building an atmosphere that generates repeat business. Uh, yeah, Arsenal capacity. doesn't have that either. Well, I think Arsenal has it in spades over Dallas does. Uh, well, I mean, there's a reason that people call the hybrid was called the library and the emirates is somehow even worse than that and remember <laughs> that they've got but it's got... full i mean it's 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 regularly full dan i mean i know that it's not the most electric atmosphere in you in it, england but they sell it, tickets and they have a good and they have a solid fan base i think you're taking what i was said a bit more seriously than i intended it oh, what i was okay what i was pointing out is you know people talk about um oh they're you know 
they, they shouldn't be interested in the bottom line. They absolutely should. It's a sport that doesn't make money. No one makes money out of soccer. They're just players. That's it. Um, to be self-sustainable, and I say this as someone whose club was in administration three times inside a decade, to be self-sustainable is the goal of every team in the world except for Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester City, Real Madrid, and Barcelona. Newcastle. And now Newcastle. New, new, new <laughs> oh. That's right. <laughs> well, let's, let's, uh, let's let them get to that point where they're even allowed to do that. But um, uh, here's you know, the... Go ahead, Dan. But self-sustainability is everything. And, and yes. as good or bad as FC Dallas is on the field, off the field, in the stands, in the front office... They've actually achieved that. I think the number one reason I love their Arsenal analogy is because uh, Nick Hornsby wrote a great book about Arsenal fandom called Fever Pitch, and our friend Nathan Nipper wrote a great book about FC Dallas fandom called Dallas Till I Cry. Uh, Fever yeah. Pitch, even better movie than book. <laughs> Here's the thing. All of those things that we just talked about that are truisms of this club and how the hunts run it are absolutely fine ideas and business models. I have no issue with those things. Where we all get bent and twisted out of shape is when they try to present it as something that it's not, i.e. our number one priority is winning MLS yeah. Cup. We are in and you're Because oh, yeah. it's okay for it not to be your priority. Um, and, 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 it's, and I just get frustrated by the fact that they almost like they're trying to um, that's, uh, that's, talk us out of that or something. That's why they should be like those Arsenal fans that were like, hey, we paid for our own stadium and we didn't go into administration and we're still challenging for stuff. They should absolutely, you know, their goal every season is to finish seventh because they believe seventh is as good as first. So they should they should be like, hey, guys, look how much they're spending. Look how much potential danger their club's in because if an investor walks away, we don't have that problem. And hey, we're still getting in the playoffs. We're still in that lottery. They, they should own it. Yeah, given yeah. given that the Hunts went through the era when they basically saved the league and therefore saved soccer in the United States, I think they're perfectly within their, right, within their rights to say the survivability of this franchise and this league, but this franchise is our number one priority. Right. You know, and, and, and for as much as Dan and Clark love to openly brag about how they are single-handedly single populating U.S. men's national team with talent from their club, it's okay to own that too, and it's okay to say, hey, guys, this really is our priority, but quit trying to pass off other things that we all can tell. The uh, this, this concept that you're really in it yeah. to win it year in and year out is, is your number one priority because it clearly is not, and, yeah. and I think that's what drives us the most nuts. Agree, 100%. All right. Uh, well, we have a big week of international soccer in front of us uh, and lots of uh, uh, lots of upset stomachs and hair pulling out as we watch. We go through another three games of CONCACAF craziness uh, tomorrow, Sunday night and then Wednesday night. Um, so uh, I wish you guys the best. I know, Dan, you don't have much to worry about. Well, you know, I've got to find a way to watch Svok uh, Shun score against England. Is it not on ESPN Plus? Uh, I suppose it's, I, FC Dallas part of the list. I haven't looked at myself because I've been busy and, and lazy at the same time. Mm. But their list said uh, TUDN only. Mm. Or maybe well, even their website. I don't know. You got to take a bath in beer. How bad can your uh, life be right now, <laughs> That's right? That's pretty cool. 
Yeah. Okay. Hey, guys, don't forget, Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, which is your source for all things national team, FC Dallas, and international club and national team gear. This week, as we were talking about, the three U.S. men's national team games are happening. And during those games, Soccer 90 will be hosting USA flash sales on their website. And if you buy U.S. men's national team gear during the games, you'll get 30% off that gear. Now, for all the other stuff you buy because you're a third degree listener you will also get 25 percent off that gear when you use the code third degree at checkout at soccer90.com or at least that's what i'm assuming that setup is going to work out if you try to stack those two things together no you're not getting 55 percent off i'm almost certain of that or if All it right. does work don't tell anybody so yeah, else gets yeah. It too. <laughs> or at least quietly tell us in the discord channel yeah. so we can run over and buy some stuff at more than half off uh hey dan happy birthday to you uh you are a solid 35 year old man today or this week so congratulations you, i don't think i'm that solid uh, i'm definitely falling apart okay very good and buzz thank you for all of your insight and stuff this week um I hope you enjoy national team games. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. Super fun. Can't wait. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you next week with another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Free Tavari. Free packs. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree. The Green Air Podcast.